we are full today. This is exciting. I got to see them bring in chairs from downstairs. So I'm excited. Um, it's good to be together today. I want to remind you, back on the information counter, we're going to start a series on 1 Corinthians next week. And so I've got a book back there, uh, or you can purchase it online, but it's called A Week in the Life of Corinth. I think it will help you to better understand the setting as we dig into 1 Corinthians. Interestingly, probably Paul was in the city of Corinth when he wrote 2 Thessalonians. That's where we're going to be today. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians, uh, we're going to dig into that. As you turn in your Bibles, though, I want to tell you a story or sort of connect this for you. Have you ever watched a disciplined military officer? So let me sort of walk through. My brother is a major in the Air Force, and when he first started in the Air Force, there were lots of rules he had to follow. So, for example, he had a ruler that he kept in his barracks because he had to have his bed made just so. You know, the old saying, you have to be able to bounce a quarter off the bed. He would measure where the sheets were at, he would shine the boots, everything had to be just so. But as the soldier develops, the ruler is no longer important to him. It's not that he doesn't make the bed anymore necessarily. It's that he has moved beyond the rules to being disciplined. He's moved beyond merely following a set of rules where somebody comes in and checks on his bed every morning to living a life of discipline. It's no longer about the rules. It's about being disciplined. Today, as we look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I want to tell you about being disciplined as a Christian. This is your next level living. This is your next step. No longer focusing on just following a bunch of rules, but moving on to living a disciplined Christian life. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians, and together let's read chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. 
Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The book of 2 Thessalonians has been our topic of study for the last three weeks. And in the book, Paul praises the church of Thessalonica. Thessalonica, let me say that right. Paul praises the church of Thessalonica because they are growing. They're growing in their faith. They're growing in their love. They had questions for Paul, which he answered in chapter 2, and we talked about that last week. This week, Paul draws the letter to a close by telling the Thessalonians the next level of Christian living involves discipline. Look at the first command that Paul gives in chapter 3. The first area where we can be disciplined as Christians is in prayer. Prayer for one another is essential. It's not optional. It is essential. One commentator writes, talking about chapter 3, the last major section of the epistle called on its readers to live in light of the truth previously revealed and by the grace of God just invoked. As Paul goes into chapter 3, he says, live in light of the truth that he's talked about in chapter 2, the second coming of Christ. How do you live in light of that? You pray. In verse 1, Paul says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, what is it that you should be worried about? Pray for us. Pray for us. That's Paul's simple command. Prayer for one another is essential for our church. Prayer for one another is essential. We need to pray what? Look at verse 1. We need to pray that the gospel spreads. Of all the things Paul might have asked for prayer for, Paul had, I'm sure, quite the prayer list. Of all the things he might have brought up to the Thessalonians, he focused on one thing here. Pray that the gospel spreads. Pray that the gospel spreads elsewhere as it did in Thessalonica. Remember, Paul had praised the Thessalonians. They had grown in their faith. They had grown in their love. And Paul says, just as the gospel has spread in Thessalonica, pray that it spreads in other parts of the world. Have you ever sat and wondered, what should I pray about? If you haven't, I encourage you to pray a little bit more so that you ask that question. <laughs> One thing that you can pray for is the witness, the testimony, the gospel spreading from others in this church. You can pick someone in the church and you can pray that as they are in their work, as they're in their community, as they are out and about, that the gospel spreads. The second thing that Paul asks for prayer for in verse 2, Paul says, we need to pray for deliverance from wicked and evil people. So there's contrast being drawn here. There are people who hear the gospel 
and they respond by accepting that Jesus died for their sins personally, rose again three days later, and guarantees them eternal life. There are people who hear that message and they accept it. On the other hand, there are people who hear that message and reject it. Reject it and in part also reject the person who has spread it. Paul in verse 2 says, pray for deliverance from wicked and evil people. This is a hard truth to imagine, but it's true. There are really only two types of people here. Only two types of people in the world. There are those who accept the gospel, and there are those who reject the gospel. We need to pray for each other that we will be delivered from persecution, be delivered from wicked people. When we pray, though, we don't just aimlessly utter words. Look at verse 3. Paul says, pray for the gospel to spread. Pray for deliverance of wicked people. Why? Because the Lord is faithful. The Lord is the one who is faithful. Remember what Paul had been arguing throughout the whole book of 2 Thessalonians. He has argued and that the Thessalonians' faith had grown. He's argued that there is wickedness in the world. And he caps that with an overarching theme. God is faithful. When we pray, we pray to the faithful God. We pray knowing that the Lord is faithful and that he directs his people. Not everybody has faith. That's verse 2. But God is faithful. Not everybody will accept the gospel, but God is faithful. God's faithfulness allows us to place our confidence in God. That he will continue. God's faithfulness allows us to be obedient. God's work within the Christian should lead us to obedience. And in fact, look at the last component in verse 5. Paul says, pray for me that the gospel will spread. Pray for deliverance. But third, Paul says, and I'm praying for you. Paul says, I will pray that you are obedient that the Lord directs your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Perseverance. Perseverance is hard. Christ's perseverance is unimaginable. Consider Christ's perseverance. To come to earth, to live a perfect life, all the while knowing that what lies ahead is death. Not just an ordinary death, though. A death on the cross. A brutal death. And to persevere. Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians is that they will possess Christ's perseverance. Is life hard? Yes. But Christ's perseverance is something we can pray for. So, let me give you an action step. Pray. Pray together right now. We're going to take a minute to pray. Before we do, I want to give you some ways that you can pray. 
We can pray for those who are not in our building, for those who do not know Christ. We can pray that the message of the gospel would spread and they would come to know Christ. We can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, people inside this building who have accepted Christ as their Savior. We can pray for their deliverance. You can pray for yourself. How should you pray for yourself? Pray that you would grow in God's love and Christ's perseverance. We're going to take a minute. Chapter 3 is hard for me not to say, let's pray. So we're going to take a minute. I want you to pray. Take a minute and pray. Father, I pray that you would make us a church that prays. That these action steps of prayer would just be the tip of the iceberg of a church whose prayer life is rich. That we would boldly take up the challenge that Paul gave to the church in Thessalonica to pray. I pray that you would make us a church of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue in the passage, the first discipline was prayer. The second discipline that I want to point out to you in this passage, coming here in verses 6 through 13, is that diligent work is expected. Diligent work is expected. Imagine the Thessalonian church. Paul has emphasized and emphasized and emphasized. Jesus is coming again. And it seems that some in the church said, well, if Jesus is coming again, then I don't need to worry about tomorrow, which is true. Therefore, and this is where they made the mistake, I shouldn't do anything. If I don't have to worry about tomorrow, what's the point in trying? And that's the mistake. No, next level Christian living is diligent living. Diligently working. Working in your job, working in the church. Diligence is what is expected. In fact, at the very beginning of the chapter, the Apostle Paul emphasizes that idleness and disruptive behavior, which ironically often go together, idleness and disruptive behavior is grounds for separation. Paul could not say this in any stronger words. Paul appeals in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. Separate from those, keep away from those who are idle. Those who are sitting around looking to cause problems. Stay away from them. It's hard to imagine a stronger command. Why? Because diligence is expected. In fact, Paul had already told them to work. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul had told the Thessalonians to encourage those who are being disruptive and idle. Encourage them to work. Warn them. Tell them to knock it off. Apparently, some hadn't gotten the message. Paul said, you already warned them. I told you to warn them in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5.14, if you're trying to keep track of it. You've warned them. They still aren't listening. It's time to 
separate from them. Give them some space. Don't let them disrupt you. The model that Paul is giving us is a model in the church. When people don't listen, when they refuse to obey, we warn them, and then we leave them be, and we separate from them. The point, though, here, in this part of the passage, is diligent work is expected. I hate to tell you this, because I don't want to burst your bubble, but being productive is foundational to who we are. It is fundamental to who we are to be productive. God did not create us to do nothing. God created us for productivity. When God created Adam and Eve, he told them to subdue creation. Be productive with it. Does that mean that nobody can retire? No, that's not what that's saying at all. But retirement is an opportunity to serve God deeper. Does it mean you can't take days off? Absolutely not. God said he created the Sabbath for rest. What it means is diligence. Diligence does not mean working 24-7. Diligence means being purposeful. Be purposeful in your work. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes on. He says, we set this as an example for you. The Apostle Paul worked in the book, if you read this book. You're going to see a description of the sort of work the Apostle Paul probably did. We interpret from several different passages. Acts 18 um, tells us that the Apostle Paul worked with leather. Probably he made tents and other leather leather pieces of work that people would use. Um, That could be clothing. It could be... uh, Anything with leather, tents, saddles, you name it. Paul worked with his hands working in leather. Diligent work is expected. It's a prerequisite, really, for serving God. God expects us to work. So, let me give you an action step. I want you to ask yourself a question. How do I need to be working? How do I need to be working? What does diligence look like for me? How do I be purposeful with my time? How do I work for God? By the way, this is an interesting broad command. He didn't say pastors work and deacons work. He didn't say all of the lay people in the church work. No, he said the expectation was for everybody to work. This means that when you go to work tomorrow morning, unless you have the day off, some of you might have the day off, when you go to work tomorrow morning, go as if you're working for the Lord. Because no matter what job you're working, you should be working for the Lord. Diligence in your work. Verses 14 and 15 hammer in a main point here, an important point. And that is that accountability is needed. Faithful accountability is needed. Verses 14 and 15 tell us that faithful accountability is important to God. You see, disobedience to God warrants a prescribed treatment. 
Paul says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Take note of. Now, words matter. The meaning of words matters. My brother's visiting this week, and yesterday we were at Walmart, and he reminded me of a, one of our childhood stories about how words matter. So a vacuum salesman, I have no problem with vacuum salesmen, but a vacuum salesman visited our house when we were kids, and I'm the oldest of four of us, four boys. We are uh, Thomas and Jason times two, because there were four of us. <laughs> vacuum salesman visited the house, and he was trying to sell the vacuum, and he told my mom, this hose is indestructible. <laughs> and I looked at my brother's, and I took the hose, and after probably 15 seconds, horrified, the vacuum salesman asked for his hose back. <laughs> indestructible did not mean the same thing to him that it meant in the Wakefield house. Edison, you've got some learning to do still, young Padawan. <laughs> Words matter, and their meaning matters. Here, Paul uses a very special word when he says, take special note. It's a word that's not used often. It's actually, though, when it is used, it's used in a medical sense of writing down the symptoms, recording like if a doctor is seeing a patient and they're describing their symptoms and they're writing these down. This is the word that you use for that. Record the symptoms. Record the symptoms of somebody who does not obey our instruction. Take note of them. You are diagnosing a problem. And when you diagnose a problem, you come up with a prescription for that problem. Look at what Paul's prescription is. Somebody who refuses to obey says, don't associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. The prescription for somebody who refuses to obey is to create that space. Now, in our society, we probably go about life making the goal of not making people feel ashamed, right? Well, at least, you know, once you're above like 25 years old. The prescribed treatment for somebody who refuses to obey Next level Christian living is faithful accountability. Don't associate with them. Don't let somebody continue in disobedience. That's the point. The word for don't associate with them is actually a word that uh, was used of somebody who would go into the gym and meet somebody who was just a grump. They did have gyms in the Roman times. You'd meet someone who's just a grump, and what do you do if you are working out or in the gym and you meet someone who's just grumpy? You let them pass, right? That's the idea that Paul says. If someone dis is being disobedient, just stay away. Don't let them continue with you just praising them and continuing with them. So let me ask you a hard question for our move to relevance, for our action step. Are you holding people accountable to obedience? Ask that question. Next level Christian living, disciplined Christian living says, I will hold people accountable to obey. If someone refuses to obey, I create some space. 
so that they know that this is not acceptable behavior. In verses, in verses 16 through 18, the reminder that he gives us, the next level Christian living comes back to the basics. It is a reminder that ultimately Christ brings grace and we peace. When we move to next level Christian living, we must always remind ourselves that Christ is the source of grace and peace. These are Paul's parting words. As far as we know, the last words he really writes to this church in Thessalonica. Parting words are special. When Emily and I, we were out in Colorado for Christmas, and as we were getting ready to come back, I was at the airport, and uh, all of the kids, all of the cousins, uh, wanted to come see me off. And they're young, you know, six and four and two and 18 months. And so, you know, it, it's a young group. So my brothers and I, we all drove to the airport and we took them up to the observation tower so that they could watch me fly the airplane home. And uh, I went up there, I said goodbye to them. The parting words though, the important words as I was walking out to the airplane, I heard in the back of my, behind me, a little voice, we love you, Uncle Nathan. Those were the words they wanted me to hear. Look at Paul's parting words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Paul reminds them in verses 16 through 18 that God is a God of peace. Peace comes from God. The world is chaotic. Paul told them, pray. Next level Christian living involves prayer. Next level Christian living involves diligent work. Don't just be idle. Next level Christian living involves holding people accountable. You've got all this work to do, but never forget that God is the God of peace. And second of all, God is the God of grace. The one who forgives, the one who gives us unmerited favor, who looks upon us and doesn't see our sin in our brokenness, but instead sees Christ, his son. The standard way of saying goodbye in Greek is erospe, means be strong. So as you would say goodbye to somebody in a Greek letter, you would end it with this phrase, be strong. Paul doesn't use that here at all. Why? Because he's called us to next level Christian living and we can't do it ourselves. Be strong means nothing to the Christian. The grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ means everything. In and of yourself, there's nothing. By God's grace, there's everything. The disciplined life of a Christian is not one of personal strength. It's one of Christ's grace. So let me ask you a question. What does it look like to be disciplined? What does it look like for you to be disciplined? Prayer? I hope. 
Diligent work, certainly. Holding each other accountable to obedience. Having a high standard of obedience for one another. Absolutely. But never forgetting that it's God's grace and peace on which we depend. So, as we go forward seeking to be disciplined, one of the things that we do is we do it together. I talked about that accountability. Holding each other accountability to obedience. Now, that doesn't work well if you don't know anybody. So over the next several months, we're going to feature opportunities for you to get to know people. I'm going to ask Justina to come forward here. She's going to present some options that we have for getting to know each other.